This is as surreal as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Our New Testament reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Can everyone hear me all right? Okay. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This ends this morning's reading. As Meredith mentioned, I'm a lifelong member of this church. Unfortunately, I don't get to see most of you these days. I now serve as the Mike Tilden of Union Church of Hinsdale, which has and continues to be an incredible experience in ministry. I was baptized here in 1988, and many of my fondest childhood memories are growing up in the life of this church. My parents took me to Sunday school when I was little, where I first learned that God is love and that God is, in fact, everywhere. My mom and dad were thrilled when we walked into church one Sunday. I must have been like three or four, and I exclaimed, God is here. However, we returned the following Sunday, and I turned to my mom a little disappointed, and I said that God isn't here today. So I'm not sure what you really do with that as a parent. Apparently, she said, you might not feel God all the time, but God really is still here, or something to that effect. I wasn't pleased with it nonetheless, but I went with it. Luckily, the very next Sunday, I apparently felt the spirit of the Lord again and proclaimed, God is here. At which point, one of my parents asked me to point out where exactly God was this morning. Well, duh, he's right there in the robe. I was pointing to Bob Kemper, the senior minister <laughs> before Kirch. By the way, when I read the Bible and God says something, it is still, in fact, Reverend Kemper's voice that I hear in my head to this day. <laughs> As children, we, we struggle to understand who or what God is exactly and what God is actually doing in the world. Well, let me rephrase that. As children and then teenagers, older folks, millennials, boom, really everybody, I think, struggles to understand who or what God is and what God is actually doing in the world. So this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, this sermon, as you'll see, is part one of a two-part series because I'm shamelessly self-promoting, and for the first time in my life, I'm actually preaching back-to-back -back Sundays, uh, but here this morning and then back at Union Church next Sunday. Uh, so this Sunday, I'm addressing how I sort of see God at work in the world in a more generalized way. Next Sunday, I'll be attempting to answer a question that PFers have been submitting to the pastors for years at the fireside chat meeting. Could God heat a burrito so hot that even Jesus couldn't eat it? 
which is a great question, profound theological implications there, but uh, we'll have to wait until next week for that answer. For today, our scripture reading is from 1 John. Now, I'm sure many of you already know the circumstances surrounding why this letter was written, but I know Tilden is going to listen to this later, and I'm sure he doesn't know. So for his sake, I'll give some context. 1 John was written in the context of turmoil caused by division. Scholars estimate it was written probably around 100 CE, so the followers of Jesus officially split from Judaism around 70, uh, but the movement fractures around 95, um, and that fracture is the cause for the text this morning. So as opposed to one of Paul's letters, which is sort of addressed to a specific church, this document is more about explaining general theological concepts. Uh, but nonetheless, it is directed at the group that remains after this fracture. Uh, we're not entirely sure of the reasons for the split. Uh, we only have one side of the story, of course. Uh, but our best guess is that the breakaway group was more concerned with spirituality. And what I mean by this is that they didn't really believe that sin mattered. Or another way to put that is that behavior didn't really matter as much to them. Sure, they, they thought Jesus was important, but they didn't think that Jesus had a real physical body. They thought he had, was more like a, a spirit or a ghost. Um, and the reason this matters is because if he wasn't fully embodied, if Jesus wasn't fully human, then God is more concerned with spiritual things, not physical ones. So our behaviors towards one another and what we do in this world aren't really all that important if God didn't bother to make Jesus fully human. So that's where we sort of get the importance of Jesus being both fully human and fully divine. He has to be fully divine, otherwise he's like just another guy. Um, but he has to be fully human because otherwise we can kind of ignore the way Jesus lived as a human in the world and just do our own thing, which would be nice, but that's not how it works. So the author is essentially saying that because Jesus is human, and behaved a certain way, that it is incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to behave in certain ways as well. It might sound a little strange to our modern ears, but that was the line of reasoning at this point. So today we have the advantage of knowing sort of who wins or how this all shakes out, uh, but the remain group might be doubting that they have the right idea. So the author in this document is writing to reassure them that they are indeed in the right and to remind them of the core principles that define them as early followers of Jesus. That is the historical background. So if you're not into history, feel free to come back in and start listening again. In the text we are looking at this morning, our author is laying out for us what it is we believe and how that affects our actions in the world. That God is love, that there is no fear in love, that we love in response to God's love, and that we specifically love our brothers and sisters. And it's my guess, or perhaps my hope, that if you've been to a UCC church even a handful of times, that this is the message that is coming out of the pulpit. Where it gets blurry for me is not that God is love, but how God shows that love in the world today. God spoke the world into existence, as the story in Genesis goes, and we see burning bushes and parting seas, miraculous healings, food for the masses when there was none, but where's that stuff now? 
An old UCC slogan was, God is still speaking. Some of you may remember that. So if God is still speaking into existence, where is that happening? A few weeks ago, I walked into a Culver's, as you do when seeking connection with the Lord on high. If, if you consider cheese curds and ice cream a religious experience, which, if done properly, I do. Uh, but nonetheless, as my lovely fiance Anna and I walked in, she wondered aloud, I don't know if I want the butter burger or the chicken fingers. Hang with me. This is, this is actually relevant. So I'm a North Atlantic cod filet guy myself. So I order first, and she winds up going with the butter burger. Now when the tray comes out, wouldn't you believe it, but they made a mistake, and they brought out the chicken fingers. We notified the staff, and of course they apologized and quickly fried up a burger for my beloved. So when I tell you this story, it is, it is fairly clear what happened here. She wanted both, figured we could only have one, and yet for the price of one, we got both. However, while it was happening, it took us a bit longer to realize that the mistake was in fact a blessing. Okay, blessing might be a strong word for two chicken fingers, but we're pretty hungry, so like blessing light, or like a diet blessing, <laughs> a gift maybe, I don't, if you find a word for that, let me know. But, but Anna realizes this first, which if you know Anna and I is really no surprise. And she turns to me and says, do you think he heard me? He, of course, referring to God. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's how she works. You'll notice our playful use of pronouns for God. That is a totally separate sermon. I'm not going to address that. But her musing does bring up an interesting question. She'd had a tough week. And was it too ridiculous to think that maybe God intervened in a minor way to bring her spirits up a bit. What began as sort of an offhanded question resulted in a relatively deep conversation over dinner about what the various answers imply about God. If God had the ability to grant extra chicken fingers, why does Anna get them when she has a tough week and I don't get them when I have tough weeks? And speaking of tough weeks, is, the, is God really willing to give the chicken like definitely the toughest week in that chicken's life just to brighten someone else's day? We also laughed at the implication of God's hearing, right? Like if we whisper something, maybe God won't hear us. Or that God only has so much time in the day to answer prayers. So if you're lucky and you pray at just the right time when God is listening, then it'll get answered. But after we'd goofed around for a few minutes, Anna tried to nail me down. So if God isn't picking and choosing what prayers to answer, or who deserves blessing and who doesn't, then how does God act in the world then? Grant. Of course, I can't answer this question, at least as a third party, or objectively as a student of theology. I can only answer this question in a very personal way. I don't know how God works in the world. I can't speak for what other people have experienced in their lives, but I can speak to how I've seen God acting in my own life. This past January, I turned in the final draft of my master's thesis at CTS, praise the Lord, and one of the required chapters was on the church. And I'd like to share a little bit of that with you this morning, because I think it best explains how I've seen God acting in my life. The church, and really more specifically this church, has been a focal point of my life since birth. 
When asked one of my, when one of my closest buddies and I became friends, hey Nate, thanks for coming, I reply in utero. Our parents were close friends through the young couples group here at Congo, and we were playing together before we really even understood how to play with someone else. I've yet to find another institution which loves and shapes someone from cradle to grave. It was not until high school that I realized the church was different than other institutions. All the other groups I was a part of valued me for what I could produce. My worth was based either on my grades or my performance on the athletic field, my social capital. The church didn't seem to value any of that. The captain of the soccer team was just as loved as the klutz. The valedictorian was loved just as much as the class clown. This reversal of values, particularly in such an success-obsessed community, I grew up here, I can say that, <laughs> intrigued me. I was loved simply for being a child of God, and that was enough. After I graduated from college and returned home, I was lovingly welcomed back into the fold as a PF adult. Unfortunately, as many of you know, shortly thereafter, my father, Steve, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, ultimately passing away four years ago. However, back in 2011, as my father's condition declined, this church embraced us. He could no longer be the usher captain, serve on boards, call the last 10 people for their pledges. I don't know who you got to do that. Or welcome new members. And yet the church did not abandon him or us. For a year, we received a vegan meal a week, many from people who we had not even met. People were cooking outside of their comfort zones for a partially vegan family they didn't know personally. In my mailbox, my mother would find cash in an envelope from the church to help with the bills until she could find full-time work to replace the income. Small armies of people descended on our yard to do landscaping. One brother in Christ took it upon himself to schedule angels from the church to watch my father for a few hours so I, as his primary caregiver during the week, could take classes at CTS. Anonymous donors paid for a much-needed new roof on our house. After we could no longer care for my father in our home, those same folks helped with a substantial portion of his assisted living expenses, allowing my mother to keep her house while my youngest sister, Sally, graduated from high school. For me, this is what community and justice looks like. There was no assumption we'd pay the church back in money or in time. Nor did we invest a large amount of money and time in the church beforehand, thinking that we might be on the receiving end of charity later. There was no transaction, just like there's no transaction between us and God. There's just grace. I've been blessed with the opportunity to study the scriptures at length, giving me the words and concepts to describe what happened to me and my family. I've been blessed in experiencing powerful preaching, music, and prayer and worship right here. And the only reasonable response 
to all of this is reflecting the love that I have received from God through the church to others. To love, support, affirm, and if necessary, keep float every single person who walks through those doors. We are called to demonstrate to the world that every single person is a beloved child of God and a beloved member of our human family. Brothers and sisters, the writer of 1 John is right. Our behavior does matter. Verses 20 and 21 say, those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. God works through our behavior. I saw God in the face of the person that brought us a meal. I saw God in the faces of those of you who sat with my father when he was so sick and my mother and I could have a few hours to do something else. God doesn't give away chicken fingers. God creates a community that we call the church. I can look out and see God right now. In the faces of those of you sitting in the pews who have loved me without condition since I was a little boy. And have been generous and supportive enough to allow me to stand before you this morning and share where I see the good news of Jesus Christ in our world. And I've seen that good news of God's presence at the rummage sale, on canoe trips and work tours, at parties and worship, and even if I may be as bold as to say in a committee meeting or two. So thank you. Thank you to all of you. who have shown and continue to show me what God's work looks like in the world. I'm so excited for what the future will bring. I look forward to seeing what kinds of amazing things you all will continue to do in building the kingdom of heaven here on earth.